You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. It's 2 Chronicles 31.5. The Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain, new wine, oil, and honey, and all that the fields produced. That's their paycheck. They brought a great amount, a tithe of everything. And the tithe is synonymous with the first fruits. I believe that's where a Christian starts. I believe that's the minimum based on these scriptures. Jesus said, have you not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth? Who's gonna trust you with true riches? Spiritual growth is dependent I believe on this. In the Old Testament, the Israelites offered God the first fruits of their labor. It was their way to give back for all they'd been blessed with. Biblically, tithing is giving back to God 10% of your earnings. In today's message, Pastor Danny teaches that this is just the beginning. Tithing to the church can usher in spiritual growth and true wealth. Giving your first fruits or a portion of your earnings honors God and all that He has done in your life. Experience joy as you humbly give back to God. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Acts, chapter 18, with today's edition of The Living Word. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on, not Paul, Sosthenes. We have to believe the new synagogue ruler and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Galileo showed no concern whatever. He just let him beat the guy. And Paul's watching this whole thing. And while he no doubt has empathy towards Sosthenes, I think he's saying to the Lord, oh, thank you that somebody else is getting it this time and not me. One more verse, verse 18. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and he sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Kincriae, because of a vow he had taken. And the fact that he had his hair cut off in connection with this vow tells me undoubtedly it was a Nazarite vow. You say, what's a Nazarite vow? Old Testament, Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter six and verse one. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, if a man or woman wants to make a special vow, a vow of dedication to the Lord as a Nazarite, they must abstain from wine and other fermented drink and must not drink vinegar made from wine or other fermented drink. They must not drink grape juice or eat grapes or raisins. As long as they remain under their Nazarite vow, they must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins. During the entire period of their Nazarite vow, no razor may be used on their head. Samson, the Old Testament character, Samson was called to be a Nazarite from birth for his whole life. That's why he was never to get his hair cut. He was the first hippie for God. They must be holy until the period of their dedication to the Lord is over. 
They must let their hair grow long. Throughout the period of their dedication to the Lord, the Nazarite must not go near a dead body. Even if their own father or mother or brother dies or sister dies, they must not make themselves ceremonially unclean on account of them because the symbol of their dedication to God is on their head. Throughout the period of their dedication, they are consecrated to the Lord. Now, we have some words here similar to the word vow because if you took a Nazarite vow, it had to do with dedication, consecration. So let's think about those words for a minute, all right? Let me help you out. Synonym of consecration is dedication. Dedication means devotion. It can mean enthusiasm. You're dedicated, and so you're enthusiastic about it. It means commitment. Vow, vow. Vow is simply a promise. It can be an oath, pledge, personal commitment. It's an earnest promise to perform a specified act or behave in a certain manner. So all these mean kind of the same thing. Doesn't tell us the motive behind Paul's Vow. That means we can speculate, speculate biblically. And I want to throw out some possibilities for us to consider because we aren't told what the motive behind his vow was. All right, here, here's some possibilities. It could have been a fresh commitment to keep the message of the gospel simple in light of what happened in Athens. When you read 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, as I did a portion of, that is a good possibility. Good possibility. We looked at that a bit last week, so I won't spend time there. Let me give you the second possibility. To be thankful in all circumstances. Paul wrote that, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. William Barclay, famous, well-known Christian commentator, suggests no doubt Paul was thinking of all God's goodness to him in Corinth and took this vow to show his gratitude. That's a very good possibility. Be thankful in all circumstances, especially in light of leaving Corinth for, where for a year and a half he's not been attacked or harmed, all right? Where is he leaving to go to? He's going to Jerusalem. Here's a good possibility. If I'm a bet man, I'm laying, I'm laying some good funds on this one because he's leaving Corinth where for a year and a half he has not been attacked or harmed and he's headed to the city that has killed and stoned more servants of God than any other city in the world, Jerusalem. Matthew 23, 37, Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. That's where Paul's headed. When you jump over to Acts chapter 20, on his way to Jerusalem, he meets with the Ephesian elders. And he says to them after meeting with them, verse 22, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, every city since leaving Corinth, the Holy Spirit warns me the prison and hardships are facing me. I'd rather have the word, don't be afraid, keep on speaking, because nobody's going to attack and harm you. But after he leaves Corinth, he gets a totally different message from the Holy Spirit, warning him, prison and hardships are facing you. On the way, you get to chapter 21, they stop off in Tyre, and the disciples in Tyre, interesting, verse 4, we, Luke and Paul and the others, sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. The Spirit's telling them what's going to happen. It's not good. You go down to verse 10, chapter 21. After we had been there, this is Caesarea, now with Philip the evangelist and the believers there in Caesarea. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands with, and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt, Paul, 
and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. I think this one is a real good possibility. Lord, I'll die with you. I'll die for you. Any other great apostle ever made that commitment? Cephas, Peter. And when the Lord told him the truth, this very night you'll deny you even know me. Peter emphatically tried to correct the Lord. No, Lord, I will die with you. The good thing about a commitment is God is so gracious that if we fail, there's grace and mercy at the cross. Anybody ever failed? My hand is up. My hand is up. I'm not going to go into the story, but a couple of years ago when me and three other staff members were scuba diving and we all came up and the boat was gone, <laughs> I, my first thought, I'm the first one up. They're still down. My first thought was, I cannot believe this is the way I'm going to die. The story details another time, not today. But on swimming to that boat that I finally found that was a dot on the horizon, not thinking I'd ever make it, you know how many vows I made to the Lord? <laughs> I laid it all out, man. I kept some of them. You know you're going to die, but you get serious. I'll tell you another one. I think this is a possibility. He leaves Corinth, a sexually vile place. Sexual sin abounded. You know the book in the Bible Paul wrote from Corinth? Romans. You read Romans chapter 1. And he describes the depravity of man and the sexual sin and all the other that goes along with it. And I think he could have had that fresh experience of seeing all the sexual immorality all around him. And he, he was a single man. He was a single man. And I think he, it could have been he made a fresh vow to the Lord. Lord, I will remain pure for you. And I'll give you one more possibility. Paul the apostle might have just not wanted to be an average Christian. Because Saul of Tarsus, before he came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Saul of Tarsus wasn't satisfied being just an average Jew. He tells us in Galatians chapter 1, verse 14, I was advancing in Judaism far beyond those of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my forefathers, religious tradition. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And you're going to tell me that Saul of Tarsus gave 110% as a Pharisee of Pharisees when he was blind to the truth, that now he comes to know the truth. You're going to tell me he's going to give any less to Jesus Christ? Uh-uh. He didn't want to be average. I don't want to be average. I hope you don't want to be average. Now let's switch gears. Those are some possible reasons for Paul's vow. Let's personalize the passage. Come on, be honest with me now. Anybody up to this point in your Christian life ever make a vow to the Lord and up to this point right now, you've kept it. You've kept it. You've kept it. My hand's up. I made a vow, a commitment, over 29 years ago. As I stood before witnesses in that wedding ceremony and before the Lord, and I committed to Wendy in holy matrimony until death do us part. And I pray the death is not by her hand. Vows made at a flower-lined altar are only as good as those made at the altars of everyday life. It's framed in my office. 
near a picture of my beautiful bride. Vows made at a flower-lined altar are only as good as those made at the altars of everyday life. I told my wife yesterday, in light of this message, I said, if it's okay with you, I'm renewing my vow, and I'm with you until death do us part. Thank God she wasn't disappointed in my vow. That's one I've kept, and I pray, and I intend to keep until I see Jesus. There's another one I've kept now for over 32 years, ministry. And boy, there are times I wanted to quit. But I've told you that before. My pastor, Pastor Milton, went home to be with Jesus Saturday morning. I have the awesome privilege, God give me strength, to help officiate his funeral Tuesday morning in South Carolina at 11 a.m. He was married to his wife for 68 years. He pastored the same church for 36 years. I knew him from the time I was four years old and my grandmother would walk me to the Baptist church he pastored. From four years old to 90 years old Saturday morning, he had influence on my life. After I graduated from Liberty, I didn't know where God had me going and I was kind of in a, I just, I was, I was discouraged. And just by God's providence, I was catching a flight back to South Carolina, connection in Charlotte. I look over, and there's my pastor, Milton Frazier. He's catching a flight from another speaking engagement, and we're on the same plane. We sit side by side from Charlotte on a little puddle jumper to Florence, South Carolina. I said, Pastor Frazier, I just don't know where God's got me going. I'm just, I don't know. I said, do you have any counsel for me, any encouragement for me? I'll never forget what Milton Frazier said to me. He looked at me and said, Danny, what I would love to see is that you pray, and when God opens the door and leads you to where he has you to be, you go there and you stay there until God calls you away. And you stay there through thick and through thin, and you persevere. I'll never forget he was a great example for me. And I'm now 32 plus years, the same church. I want to share with you in the last few minutes, vows, commitments, dedication, consecration that I believe every Christian should make. Now, there's a lot of things I could talk about. I could talk about serving and fellowship and prayer and praise and worship and developing self-control and all those kind of things. But here, here's what I'll give you. These are top on my list, me personally, me personally. Vows that every Christian should make to the Lord. By the way, this is what Frazier could say and what I want to be able to say. I fought the good fight. That's Paul's words just before he went home to be with the Lord. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. I want to say that. I want to be able to say that. Let me tell you the first one. Sexual purity. You know why this is really up in the top of my commitment to the Lord? Because it's such a great challenge. Let me tell you again, those of you that are regulars here, you've heard me say this before, I'm going to say it again. Marriage does not solve sexual temptation. A good marriage does not solve sexual temptation. I wish it did. I've, then the day I married Wendy Robinson, you know, sexual temptation is gone. I got to tell you something, it doesn't do it. And I got a good marriage. And this is still today as a 58-year-old happily married pastor. This is still a daily battle. And thank God. I'm winning through Jesus. Thank God I never got involved in pornography. You're involved in pornography. Go to a Christian brother. Go to a Christian, because usually guys are involved in this. Ruining people. Ruining people. Thank God I never got involved with it. Don't intend to. Don't intend to. Paul wrote, treat younger women, or younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with absolute purity. He could have just said purity. 
He drove home the point. You set your standard high, Timothy. Absolute purity. And if you set it low, you're in for problems. Problems. He wrote in 1 Thessalonians, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. He wrote in Ephesians to the Ephesian church, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. I wish I could stand here as a pastor and say that in this local fellowship that I'm the senior pastor of, there's no hint of sexual immorality. I can't say that. There's more than a hint of it. We deal with it all the time. Awful quiet in here. In a crowd this large in every service, I, I would believe that in a crowd this large, somebody is involved in sexual sin and you need to repent. You need to repent. Get right with God. And you'll never regret doing that. You'll never regret it. Now, this next one that's up in the top of my commitments to the Lord, uh, you're going to be surprised at maybe because it's, a, it's a totally different from the sexual purity thing, all right? But it's up there for me, all right? And it's this, tithing. Just means 10%. Heard a message on tithing the first few weeks of my Christian life. I was 19 years old, had $2,000 in the bank. I wrote a $200 check and I gave it to Emmanuel Baptist Church. For years, I was under the ministry of Jerry Falwell and Thomas Road Baptist Church. And every dime, every dollar God gave me, I gave God a tenth. I'm not bragging. I'm not bragging. For 32 plus years now, I've been a part of this local fellowship and I've given God at least a tenth out of every paycheck and every profit that he's given me. And I am so happy and humble to be able to stand before the Lord one day. And my commitment is I'm going to be tithing until Jesus comes and stand before him. And one thing he will not be able to judge me on in terms of my service to him is this. And I'm thankful and humble that I've been faithful and intend to be faithful for the rest of my life here. I am absolutely convinced tithing is not Old Testament or New Testament, but biblical. I am convinced. Genesis 14, before the law, Abraham gives to Melchizedek. Melchizedek is Christ. It's referred to in Hebrews 7, the New Testament, giving to Christ. You give the tenth to Christ. Why the tenth? Jacob, Genesis 28, said, God, if you'll be my God, you'll take care of me. I'll give you a tithe. And he made a vow. That's what it says there. He made a vow. I'll give you a tenth of all you give me. Why the tenth? Why Abraham and why Jacob? Why the tenth? Because they understood biblically the tenth represents the whole. The tenth represents 100%. So when you give the tenth, you're saying to God, it's all yours. It's all yours. I'd have nothing if it wasn't for you. And every time you give the tenth, you're acknowledging. You're acknowledging, God, it's all yours. Malachi chapter three, God had some very stern words to say to the Israelites. And of course, it's in the Bible, so he has to say to all of us, he, he said, you guys robbed me. And they said, how do we rob you? And he said, in tithes. And an offering. Proverbs says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your increase. A few years ago, God gave me this verse in relation to first fruits. It's 2 Chronicles 31.5. The Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain, new wine, oil, and honey, and all that the fields produced. That's their paycheck. They brought a great amount, a tithe of everything. And the tithe is synonymous with the first fruits. I believe that's where a Christian starts. I believe that's the minimum. Based on these scriptures, Jesus said, have you not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth? Who's going to trust you with true riches? Spiritual growth is dependent, I believe, on this. 
Jesus says, store for yourselves treasures in heaven. And one of the ways we do that is by honoring God with the tithe. Luke 6, 38, Jesus said, give and it'll be given to you. 2 Corinthians 9 says, you'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on all occasions. Now, last thing I'll say on this one, and some of you will be happy I'm moving on. But I'm not ashamed to preach this. This is the word of God. And, and you're missing a blessing if you don't practice this. You are missing a blessing. You say, well, if I were to give a 10%, it doesn't make sense. I couldn't live. No, no. You, by faith, are not willing to step out and give God an opportunity to do a miracle in your life. Because he will. You think you're going to honor God with these scriptures, and he's going to say, well, no way, I can take care of you. No, he will provide for you. And you'll see miraculous things happen. I've seen it in my own life. And now I'm blessed beyond measure financially. I did never imagine the blessing. I'll give you one more. I got to bring it to a close. Two more, actually. Every Christian ought to commit to developing and maintaining, hopefully a daily, that ought to be the goal, daily. Every day has enough evil of its own. Give us this day our daily bread. A devotional time of the Lord. And I don't have time to go into the details of this, but I put together a little booklet a few years ago, and I'm I, only as a resource, if it'll help you. It's called Spending Time with God. $3 in the bookstore. If you don't have $3, then just tell them I don't have $3, and then hopefully you're not lying. But, <laughs> but it's called Spending Time with God, and it'll give you the nuts and bolts of what a devotional time with the Lord really looks like. It'll really help you, practically speaking. The last one, as I close with this last one, I had in the possible reasons behind Paul's vow. And then as I was finishing up my notes, it seemed like the Lord led me to put that one now at the very end. Why? Because it is the umbrella that any other commitment to the Lord comes under. It is the umbrella that every other commitment to the Lord comes under. You find it in Romans chapter 12. And it goes like this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And this is meant to be done over and over and over again. Because if God's got me, my body, he's got my money. He's got the hand that writes the check. He's got the hand that clicks the mouse on the computer. If God's got me and he's got my body, then I'm going to continue to strive and look for his help to remain sexually pure. If he's got me and he's got my body, I'm going to do everything I can that I'm not given over, mastered by some substance, some pleasure. Does that make sense? This is the umbrella. And every time we come to the communion table, we have the privilege of doing this. Because he gave his all. He gave his body for you and for me. And in view of God's mercy... Now he gives us the privilege to coming back again and saying, Lord, I failed here. Lord, I messed up here, but I'm coming back. You know where the mercy is found? It's right here. 
It's right here. And there's grace that flows from the cross. And there's mercy that flows from the cross. We're so thankful to be able to share this time with you today on The Living Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Petersburg, Florida. We've been learning some historical things from the Book of Acts, a New Testament book that records the early church and how the disciples spread the gospel of Jesus to the world. What an incredible move of the Holy Spirit that we get to not only read about, but experience today. If you'd like to hear today's message again, or other messages like it from Pastor Danny, visit our website at ccfstpete.church. Look under the Media tab and click on Sermons. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to take a moment and ask you to partner with us in prayer here at The Living Word. Prayer is an incredibly powerful tool that you can use against the enemy, who doesn't play fair. Being in conversation with the Lord is an exercise that's extremely rewarding as you find yourself more and more in a relationship with God. As far as a specific prayer request, please pray that we'd always have it on the forefront of our minds to be teaching the Word and reaching the world. As you pray about this, we pray too that your heart is encouraged and growing in the Word through these teachings. Thanks for praying, and thanks for being a part of this ministry. Join us again next time to dive deeper into the Book of Acts right here on The Living Word.